This is a one and all media podcast. Today. 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 With Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. My name is Aaron, and I'm one of the members on the team here at One and All Media. Today, it's time to hear from the book of Jonah as we continue our journey through the Bible's major events in our series titled The Story. Now, today, Pastor Jeff is going to be in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Jonah was called by God to preach to the Assyrian city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a bad place. They were into all kinds of awful behavior, such as child sacrifice, torture, and they were a hated group of people. It's no wonder that Jonah was running in the opposite direction of God's call. But we're going to find out from Pastor Jeff today how we can apply Jonah's story to our own lives today. Here's Pastor Jeff Vines. Turning your Bibles over to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4. Now, if you've been following along on the story right now, you're thinking, what? Well, I'll explain that in a moment. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. Hold that just a moment. Uh, okay, I, I know that I've milked my 50th birthday for all I could. I get that. So this is the last time. Uh, I got a lot of interesting gifts, uh, including AARP cards and whatever it is. And somebody gave me a senior coffee discount at McDonald's, all that stuff. But my favorite card was from my own daughter, and it's a card that says "amazing," and it's in perfect, it's, it, and it's perfectly intact. Now, it looks like an archaeologist who's uh, just finished an excavation. They finished a dig and they found something. So she says, "Amazing," and it's perfectly intact. And I open it up. She says, "Daddy, great news! They found your birth certificate." And <laughs> so everybody's been—you're supposed to be trying to make me feel better for getting old, but thanks for rubbing it in, all of you 50 and older. I guess no one's immune to getting older. Now, uh, let me set the stage like this. I, I said Jonah four. Here, here's why, just quickly. Every uh, story, every time uh, a church does this series, the pastor gets one week called Pastor's Prerogative. Uh, he gets to choose a passage that he wants to talk about. Now, don't worry, we're going to finish. We're going to go to uh, Esther, Nehemiah, and then uh, start bridging that gap and enter into the New Testament. But I get one week where I get to talk about one of my favorite narratives because there's so many narratives in the Bible to talk about. I decided to talk about Jonah chapter 4 because it's a heartbeat of our church. If you want to know who we are, this is it. If you want to know what you're part of, this is it. If you're visiting, you want to know what is this church about? What, what, what makes their pastor tick? Uh, what's their vision? What are they all about? This is it. You're going to find out today. So you will know the heart that God has for our church, the vision, the calling that we feel God has called us toward, the task that waits for us. Now, having said that, let me set the stage like this. Uh, one of the things I got to enjoy my birthday was a good friend of mine took me over to Scottsdale. Uh, he has timeshare there, and I got to play golf for three days. 
And man, it, it beautiful golf course. Now it's 130 degrees, but beautiful. No, no, it wasn't that hot. It was hot, but not that hot. But I had a great time. That was part of my 50th birthday present that he and his family gave. And uh, one of the things we got to do was go to a Dodger game. Now, I know that uh, some of you have been kind of uh, concerned about some of my languaging over the last few years. Uh, I, I decided it, it is time for me to come clean with you, okay? Uh, I am a, a, a Dodger fan, all right? I just want to confess it. Now, that's going to frustrate some of you because the first couple of years I wore red and was an Angels fan. And here's what happened. My friend reminded me of my childhood, took me back to my roots and, and explained to me that it was not right for me to become an Angel fan just because I was mad at the Dodgers for trading Garvey way back in 1984. <laughs> and there is a time to forgive. And so then he started taking me to Dodger games and it brought back my childhood and everything. And so I know who I really am. I, 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 I don't hate angels. I'm not an angel hater. I pull for them too. But my team is the Dodgers. So we were in Arizona. We got to go to a Dodger game. They were playing the Diamondbacks at Diamondback Stadium. If you know anything about the stadium, it was closed in. So they got air conditioned in there. So it's 100 outside, but it's like sweet 75 on the inside. Uh, my friend Anthony got us great seats down uh, near the field. Now, we were there. There were these three guys behind us. They talked loudly for the whole game. And it was nothing to do with the game and nothing to do with baseball. It's like they decided to have a business meeting right behind us. One inning was okay. Two innings we could tolerate. But by the sixth inning, we had heard all of their life stories. They were all trying to outdo each other. And we had had enough. Now, the only reason I didn't turn around, the only reason I did not turn around and say, dudes, get a life, is because my wife would have been very upset. She hates it when I do that. And I didn't, I thought, you know, it's my birthday weekend. I don't want to make my wife mad as well. So none of us, even though I did stare at them a few times, they seemed to be oblivious. Now, it ruined the game. We finally just left. I mean, you think about it, they're right behind you. They're not even paying attention to the game. Now, that made me think of something, uh, and I want you to understand here, some of you who've never heard me, you're going to say, well, I can't believe a pastor just said that. Uh, but I'm very honest, very honest, very transparent. It reminded me that there are sometimes you meet people in your life that you don't want to preach the gospel to because you hope they go to hell. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> now, not many pastors will tell you that. Uh, I, I, I know it's wrong. Okay. I know that. I, I just want to be honest. There are some people in life that you meet. You really don't want to share the gospel. You know, your mother-in-law, you'd rather she just stay on the dark side. You know, somebody that you don't like your neighbor that gets, uh, you know, wakes you up at 5am in the morning. And you know, as I reacted to this person, I, I realized then that God has prepared me for this weekend message because I wasn't very pleased with the thoughts and the attitudes that I had. Now, sometimes you might think, well, that's, a, that's, a, that's not a good example, but when you think of a guy like Robert Mugabe, what he's doing in Zimbabwe as the prime minister, how, he, how he's just padding his Swiss bank account and the children. I, I love Zimbabwe. I love the Shona people. God has called me to them. I try to go once a year and just encourage them. You're digging wells, whether you knew it or not, all over Zimbabwe. You're trying to save Zimbabwe one village at a time, but the evil seems to be outracing, outracing the good that we're trying to do. We're having a hard time keeping up, but we're determined to save these children, save their lives. 
So part of me thinks, man, I'm not going to share the gospel with Mugabe. He needs to go to hell. He's been a bad dude. I mean, you think of Hitler, Stalin, Lenin, really bad people. There's part of you who thinks, man, they need to stand before God, and I can't wait till they do, right? You don't say it out loud, but there's part of you that says, I can't wait till they stand before God. ISIS, come on now, you know? CNN did a special. I don't know if you saw it, but the fathers were asking their children what they wanted to be when they grew up, and they only gave them two options. Number one, do you want to be a jihadist? Or number two, do you want to be a suicide bomber? So they're asking little kids at a very young age, what do you want to do? You see what I'm saying? Now, I chose Jonah 4 because it brings all this to light. You cannot leave the Old Testament without going through this narrative because it does reveal the heart of our church. It reveals who I am, who you should be, what we're all about. Now, stay with me. I want you to turn to Jonah 4. If you have a Bible, turn there because I'm going to go verse by verse through it. Before I get there, let me set some background. The background is that God has called a man named Jonah to go and preach to the Ninevites. The Ninevites are bad people, man. They're into child sacrifice, bestiality, incest. They're into everything. At that time, they were the largest city in the known world, 600,000 people. It's not a big city today, but then it was a large city. They had these magnificent walls. They were eight miles long that covered the inner part of the city, a circumference of over 60 miles. Their state policy, and you remember who the Assyrians are now, Nineveh, capital of the Assyrians. You remember who they were? They came in and took the Israelites, God's people, captive. After that, the Babylonians came in, and then Persia will come in. So it's just a long story. But the Assyrians came in at one point. Their state policy, you know how... Nations will have a policy or states or communities that no kid left behind, equality for all. Their state policy was this, kill everybody. They believed that everyone should die that was not an Assyrian. They taught their children from a very young age, annihilate and obliterate all the Hebrews. They hated though and tortured everyone. They were no respecter of persons. They hated everyone equally. And they wanted everyone dead equally. So they tortured men, women, children. They had no allies on planet earth. They were hated and detested by all. They were hated so much that when the prophet Nahum gives a prophecy about the coming destruction of Assyria that would come, he says this in Nahum uh, chapter 3, verse 19, everyone who hears the news about you claps their hands. Nahum is saying, the Assyrians are so hated, the Ninevites are so hated, the day comes when they will fall People all over the world will stand and say, yeah, you're the ones that killed our family, our friends, our children, our communities. And they'll say, you know, blow the trumpet, sound the horn, ring the bell, ding dong, the wicked witch is dead. And everybody will stand up and give an ovation that your kingdom has come to an end. Now, it's these people, the Ninevites, that God says to Jonah, go preach to them. Go preach to them. People say sometimes to me, you know, God didn't have a heart for people who were not Hebrews in the Old Testament. I think, what are you, crazy? God is sending a Hebrew prophet, Jonah, to go preach to these Ninevites. But Jonah doesn't want to go. As a matter of fact, if you remember this series I did, I showed you a map. God says, I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah gets on a ship at Joppa and goes to Tarshish. Anybody see something wrong with this picture? <laughs> it's the exact opposite direction. He doesn't want to go. So he runs from God. Now, that's a sermon in and of itself. And there are many of you who have been running from God all your life. And you think things somehow one day will turn out well. It's not going to. There's a calling on your life a long time ago. It's never too late, never too late. But you've known for a long time God had a calling on you to do something, to go here, to do this. But you've always been afraid. You didn't want to take the risk. And you think somehow your life's going to turn out well. And you might survive it, but it'll never be the life God ultimately had for you. Jonah, what happens to him? He's on this ship and they throw him overboard. Then he gets swallowed by a big fish. 
And you stay in Jonah 4. You stay there because we're going to get there. But in verse 17 of chapter 1, it says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. This word appointed here is the Hebrew word for commissioned. And it's usually used for people. But God, in this case, commissions a great fish. So God speaks well, or God speaks great fish. And God commissions. I got a calling on your life well. Pick up Jonah. Well, where? Well, we've, he's been thrown overboard. Go collect him. Uh, I, I believe that God would have given him a few directions. Uh, you know, uh, swallow, don't chew. Uh, and then I'll tell you what to drop him off. I heard an interesting story from a young girl who said to her teacher at school, when she was asked what her favorite story was, she said, well, my favorite story is the story of Jonah. He got swallowed by the well and lived in the belly of the well. I know the Bible doesn't say well, but she said the well for three days. And the, uh, the teacher said, I'm sorry, honey, but that's not a true story because although whales are large mammals, they have small throats and can never swallow a human. And the little girl said, well, I'm sorry, but you're wrong. It's in the Bible and I believe it. And God could do a miracle. So my favorite story is Jonah and he got swallowed by the well. And she said, well, I know that's your favorite story. I'm just telling you, it can't possibly be true because whales are large mammals, but they have small throats. And the little girl said, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah. And his teacher said, well, her teacher said, well, what if he went to hell? And the little girl said, well, then you can ask him. (laughs) And so God says, God says, I've got Jonah in the water down there. I want you to go pick him up. And then Jonah 2.10 says, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. The Hebrew word vomited is a word, it's a crass word. And the narrator, the storyteller is trying to get you to know that when Jonah was uh, extricated from the well, it wasn't some kind of angelic escort and it wasn't kind of beam me to shore. Basically the well upchucked. Uh, he had a protein spill. He tossed his cookies. He took a ride on the regurgitron. He lost his lunch. You know, he launched from the food shuttle. I, however you want to say it, he was thrown up onto the beach. And at that point, Jonah got it. Jonah, Jonah gets, you know, I probably shouldn't be running from God. And he comes to his senses. Now he goes and preaches to the people in Nineveh. And something happens. They repent. I mean, this would have been the toughest audience in the known world. Jonah preaches. They relent. They repent. God spares them. You'd think Jonah would be happy. I've just preached the greatest sermon known to man. The Ninevites have repented. Verse 1, Jonah chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. What's going on? He hates the Ninevites. He didn't want them to repent. He's preaching his sermon, and underneath his breath, he's thinking, don't repent, don't repent, don't repent. Burn in hell, burn in hell, burn in hell. He hates it. Kind of like the same attitude I have toward Mugabe. The same attitude that you have toward your next door neighbor or a co-worker. Now, here's what happens in verse two. Jonah prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. So he admits he was running from God. He admits, I did not want to go priest to the Ninevites. Then he says, because I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, God, I knew this would happen. You kind and gracious, merciful God. Interesting, he wasn't singing that song when he was in the belly of the well or the great fish. God, forgive me. I've sinned against you. Please rescue me. God gives him grace, but he doesn't want to give grace to anybody else. See, Jonah's real problem is he's a prophet and he's supposed to be an expert in sin and grace and forgiveness, but he doesn't have a clue. Now, let me remind you, remember what grace is. 
Nobody in this room is better than anybody else, right? We all have our issues, and nobody in this room is better than anybody outside these walls. The only difference is we've acknowledged that we're sinners and we're saved by the grace of God, but we didn't earn it. It was given to us as a free gift. Now, the measure of grace you've received, this grace is not meant to be kept. It's meant to be given away. And the greater your understanding of how much grace God gave you to bring you into his community, then the more willing you are going to be to extend it to other people. The shallower your understanding of grace, the more angry you're going to be with people around you. The problem with Jonah is he's like me and you. He thinks that he's actually better than the Ninevites because he's a Hebrew or because he's in God's family. He thinks that God chose the nation of Hebrews because of something they did rather than out of pure grace. And he thinks somehow his sins are not as intense or bad as the Ninevites. It's not that Jonah believes God can't save the Ninevites. Jonah believes God should not save the Ninevites. It's almost like Jonah says, God, we've got to draw the line somewhere. Not just anybody can get in, you know? And Lamo says this, you can tell you've made God in your own image when it turns out he hates all the same people you do. <laughs> Verse three, now Lord, take away my life for it is better for me to live, to die rather than to live. Can you believe he wants to die? What a baby. I mean, he's preached in the Nineveh. It's been great revival. They've repented. They've relented. Anyway, he's crying. He, God, just kill me, kill me now. And this is so adolescent. It's almost like, God, if the Ninevites come in, I don't want to be in. It's like the little boy on the basketball field or the basketball court at playground. If we don't play by my rules, I'm taking my ball and going home. Jonah says, if the Ninevites are in, I'm out. You got to be kidding me. The Ninevites get in, then kill me, kill me dead. And in verse four, God says, is it right for you to be angry? When God asks a question, he always wants the prophet to open up within his own assumptions. He's saying, Jonah, think, is it really wrong for me to forgive somebody who repents? Are there some sins that are too great to be forgiven? Jonah, did you receive everything you received by works or by grace? Jonah, have you earned anything that you have? Really? I mean, Jonah, should I, should I give the Ninevites what they really deserve? Jonah, should I give the Israelites what they really deserve? Jonah, should I give you what you really deserve. Now what happens next is vintage God. It's classic. Now stay with me. The prophets are used by God as kind of these uh, creative uh, displays. You know how when somebody says something to you all the time, over and over and over, after a while you be become immune to it. You just you get used to the language, right? It's kind of like my sermons, right? <laughs> you come in every week, oh, I've heard this before, right? And you kind of shut me out. I'm okay with that, but I'm still watching. What God did with the prophets, he would have them act out a message God wanted Israel to hear because he knew that a visual was often much more powerful than just words. You know, it's one thing, it's one thing for God to say to people, I send, I'm going to send my son to die for you, but if you would have seen Jesus, you get a Jesus revelation, it changes everything. Now, a good example of that is what God does with uh, the prophet Hosea and Gomer. Remember, God is trying to communicate to Israel how unfaithful they have been to God. So what God does, he takes his prophet Hosea and he has Hosea marry a prostitute, Gomer, so that the Israelites will see every day how God feels about them. Because people will come up to Hosea and say, Hosea, you're a righteous, blameless man. How on earth could you be married to such an unfaithful person like Gomer? And every time they did that, Hosea would respond, I'll answer you if you answer me. My question to you is, how on earth could God be married to a people who are so unfaithful like us? You see? 
So every day they got to see that. Now, here's how it works. Usually, when God wants to communicate something, every time in the Bible, he would put the prophet on the stage. The prophet, you'd be able to look at the prophet and his life, and then the audience would be the Israelites. So they're the audience. The prophet's on stage. God would be the director of the play, and whatever's happening in the prophet's life, you're supposed to learn. That happens every time in the Bible, except once. Guess where? Jonah. And in Jonah, God flips it. Jonah now is the audience, and there's a play, and God is directing it. And in the play, you have the sun, and you have a gourd, a plant, you have a worm, and you have the east wind. And all of these symbols matter to a great degree. Because after Jonah sees the Ninevites repent, he goes, the Bible tells us, east of the city. Now, that's not just there for a random uh, uh, kind of uh, wording. The, the, again, the narrator, the Hebrew narrative is trying to trying to point something out. What, this is the Bible's way of showing us that Jonah is opposing God. He's protesting. Because Israel always uh, was next, the landmass was next to the Mediterranean Sea, and all the enemies of Israel lay to the east. So anytime the Bible started using the eastern terminology, it was trying to show you that these are people far from God. So Jonah, what does he do? He goes east of the city in protest, says, God, if the Ninevites are in, I'm out. And he goes and starts to weep. He, he starts to complain and murmur and grumble. A good example is when Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, they go where? East of Eden. When Cain kills Abel, he goes east to the land of Nod. And now we have Jonah leaving. He goes east. East is the name of the place of God's enemies. Now, as Jonah goes east, he sits out on this plateau looking over the city, hoping that God will still destroy the Ninevites, even though they repented. And so here's what happens. Let me describe it, and then I'm going to read it to you. Jonah is hot. He's boiling inside because the people repent and he thinks God might save them. But he's also boiling on the outside because God sent a vehement, the Bible says, King James Version, a strong east wind. Notice from the east, a violent wind of heat. So he's burning on the inside. He's burning on the outside. And then you know what God does? While Jonah's sitting there feeling sorry for himself, God causes this vine to grow up over Jonah, provide some shade. Now, shade is powerful imagery to an Israelite because they live in the desert. As a matter of fact, Psalm 121 says, The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. Shade is an imagery of God's divine and omnipotent protection. So Jonah, in his mind, see, he gets it. In his mind, when he sees this plant grow up miraculously and cover his head, he's got shade. He's saying, God's going to change his mind because God now is protecting me. And I've, I've been whining here, and I'm going to get what I want. Verse 6, then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. The, little Hebrew, the literal Hebrew there is to deliver him from evil. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. <laughs> I cannot describe to you how strong this language is in the Hebrew. What a temperament, what a moody dude, man. First of all, he's out there, oh, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I preached, they repented. Well, I don't want them to repent. My God, you're gracious, merciful, and kind. And I'm going to go out east of the city and protest. I don't like you right now, God. Just kill me, kill me dead. God gives him a plant. Oh, this feels good. <laughs> and then he gets shaded. He goes, yay. I mean, he, he wanted to die five minutes ago. And now he's thinking, yay, I love shade, 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 shade. I love shade. Now, you and I look at that and we think, man, this dude really likes shade. No, no. Remember, Jonah's watching the play, and shade is the imagery in the Hebrew mind for victory over my enemies. 
So Jonah's enemies are the Ninevites. When God causes the shade to grow over Jonah, he thinks God has given him a message that I've changed my mind. I'm going to destroy your enemies and I'm going to give you the sovereign victory. Now, here's what you discover in the book of Jonah. God has more difficulty saving Jonah than he does saving Nineveh. And you start to realize the book of Jonah is not about the evil Ninevites. It's about the evil in the heart of Jonah. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Now look what happens in verse seven. At dawn, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. So here we got a miraculous worm. It's a fast eating worm too. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. My goodness, this guy's a basket case. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.